Morning, Chair City Church. How you doing today? Uh, good to see all of you. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time. I want to welcome everybody to week four of our current teaching series, Emojis. And in this series, we're looking into God's Word, what we know is the Bible, to learn how to successfully navigate our emotions. You see, you know, when we're in control of our emotions, meaning when we're handling them and living them out in a way that God desired, then things go well. Constructive things happen in our lives. We're honoring God. But when we, and we do, we experience life in a fuller, richer, deeper way. You want to get this because God gave us these emotions and, we, and God gave them to us for a reason, that we know Him and know life in a wonderful way. Yet, when we allow these emotions to dominate us, meaning when we're living out in a way apart from God, and it's not our spirit, it's not our intellect, it, it, it's just us, man. It's just us living out through these emotions and they run havoc. Well, then there's pain and, and there's confusion and there's, and there's damage and sometimes even destruction. Now, today we're going to teach you how to successfully navigate the emotion of fear. Yeah, I, mean, I kicked this thing around. So, there's so much to this and I, I wanted to bring it to you in an applicable way, but this, this runs deep, you know. Just, I, I don't know if I'll get there, and I probably won't, but maladaptive behaviors, and it, it just, I can't resist it. You know, this, what that is, is, is when you have a particular behavior that almost always will run through your emotions, that at one time, for the sake of your well-being and your survival, you employed and it, for your own safety and protection. And it worked, and it was good. It, you had a situation, you were in danger, you were in fear, you were concerned, you were overwhelmed, you enacted through your emotions a particular behavior, and it allowed you to adapt to your circumstances. Now life moves on, and you move on, and you grow up. You go from being 15 to 20, 25, 30. You go from being five, you know, that little kid, this and that happened, to being 10, 15, 20. Now, that same behavior, it's not adapting well. It's not working anymore, but you're not adapting it. And that's now maladaptive. Now you're using what once worked to your benefit to now really to, to, your, to your hurt, to your pain, to, to causing issues in your life. So I don't know if I'll get there, but I just thought I'd toss that out there. Meaning, I, I think there's a component of fear in there. So okay, that's just me. So I want you to understand that fear is always, it's not always bad, right? Meaning there is a constructive fear and there's a kind of a destructive fear. And I want to bring them both to you today. The Bible says in, in the scripture that God says in Isaiah chapter 41, 10, do not fear for I am with you. And in the same book of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13, it says the Lord of heaven's armies, he is the one you should fear. Now, the book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament. The Bible is really broken into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is from the creation, Genesis. I'm sure you've heard of this book before. Some of you, most of you, that from the, from the creation of mankind, of the, of, of the earth, right to the point of before Jesus Christ, right up to the point of Jesus Christ being born. And the New Testament is from when Jesus was born to the beginning of what we, of the church, of what we are still continuing, right? Still carrying that torch. Now, what this shows us, these verses in Isaiah, is that there are, again, these two types of fear, constructive and destructive. I want to talk to you about this constructive type of fear. And the first one is the fear of the Lord. 
So this is, you hear about this a lot in the Bible, you read it in multiple places, and, and it's, it's a constructive fear. It's a fear of missing out on God's blessing and a fear of receiving God's discipline. Huh? Just saying that makes you kind of cringe a bit, right? It was this same fear, though, that caused, the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew wives, midwives, actually, to disobey Pharaoh when he told them to kill the Jewish baby boys. And instead, what it says in, Hebrew, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, the midwives, it says, the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. See, they cared more about God's discipline and acting out in disobedience to him, murdering a child, than any punishment they would get from Pharaoh, the king of, Israel, uh, of Egypt. That's a good thing. That's a good and healthy fear, huh? That fear kept them going on the right track. In the, in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Job. Oh, Job is talked about and about so much in church circles, in Christian circles, Jewish circles, even in, in just all of human, in the literature, um, just the history of human literature, for the lack of a better term. You know, we, we read about Job. Job was a guy who, uh, he's talked about so much because he endured immense suffering. And in the face of that, he kind of made it through it and came out on the other side a better person. That's a, little, that's a quick summary of some pretty deep stuff. But Job says this. We got, he says in Job, chapter, uh, in, Job um, in the 31st chapter of the book of Job, Job says it was the fear of the Lord that kept him from such sins as lust, deceit, injustice, and selfishness. He says in Job chapter 21, verse 23, for I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. So here the fear of the Lord, acknowledging his majesty, his, his might, keeps Job from sinning, which is good because when we sin, we're, we're, we're really now implementing our own plan. We're, we're, we're deciding this is what I need to do to survive. This is what I need to do to get by. This is what I need to do right now. To I need to do this now. And I'm going to disregard God who made me, who created the heavens and the earth, who truly has a plan for me, who has provided for me, who in the depth of who I am, I have this sense that he exists or right there, clearly I know he's there. I cannot deny him and all he's done in my life and his the word that speaks into me. But yet at this moment right now, I'm going to just do it my way for that sake of a survival or whatever else it might be. So, you know, and so what Job is saying is it is that fear that kept him. I'm, I'm no different than you, Job says, but it was that fear of the Lord. I mean, when things were getting horrible, when I lost my family, when I lost everything I had, when things were coming apart, what kept me on track through all that misery and suffering and difficulty and, and, and confusion and anger? It was the fear of the Lord huh? that kept me going in the right direction. So now, I don't know about you, when it comes to this fear of the Lord or this fear of God, in my case, it kind of leaks. <laughs> where maybe there are certain seasons where that fear of God is not in a healthy level. Uh, and I look back on life now, I'm 24, I say I'm 24 years, I'm in this game we call Christianity, right? I think October will be 24 years. And, uh, you know, and I look back on those moments that I am, uh, that I was not, 
uh, glorifying God. And that, that's an, I'm embellishing my actions. Uh, and sure enough, that fear of the Lord was not prominent, was not at a healthy place when I set out. There was a one time where, uh, wow, it just, things, you know, things were happening so quickly. For years, I, was, I had the Midas touch. Everything I did was great. I came to God, woohoo, you know, and, you know, met a girl, great looking, right? woohoo, you know, got married. We were still going, we started out in ministry, you know, inner city kids, we just blasted, it took off. You know, I, get, I get recognized nationally by a large denomination. I, you're traveling all over New England, speaking, just everything I did was awesome, right, you know? Uh, you know, you know, got an investment two family, bought my own two family. It, it, I was just, wow. And now comes a time when after like several years, maybe six, seven years, it all of a sudden change is coming on me. You know, after all those years of ministering, single family homes, low income people, it's a grind, man. I call it the no thanks ministry, you know. <laughs> and now, you know, Chris, Chris and I, we go from, you know, uh, zero children to three children and like that. Uh, you know, 20 minutes to get in a car, you're doing a car seat, and my grandfather who lived with us for four years, he passes on, it's all happening, I'm thinking, wow, I, I, I need to just, we need to kind of, we, we need to recoup here, we, we, we need to move on, we need to shift our life and, and move on to the next phase where we can kind of try and recover from all this and get some help and get going spiritually, which was good, right? But you know what? I, I started to lock out at the horizon. And the uncertainties, ah, unhealthy fear. And I began to think, oh no, am I going to have to go and work on staff somewhere and traveling out there and hearing all the stories from pastors and assistant pay? I'm like, oh, that's, that's just not good. It's sad, but it, that, it just, you know, could have been a coincidence, but it just, I, I, we were like, no, it's not. And as much as we didn't want a pastor, we weren't looking to go on staff anywhere either. And, uh, that I'm like, you know, if I only had like maybe about a hundred grand, maybe seventy-five to a hundred grand, hundred and twenty, I could make something happen, you know. Maybe I could, I could kick up and do a new nonprofit ministry, or you know, maybe I could start a business, you know. And so I set out to now try and make that happen, and I wound up in an investment property in New York, and uh, you know, it was, it would, it would be like a good reality show series, man. I, I contacted a guy out mid, in the Midwest, and he had bad tenants. I negotiated a situation to get them out, got the property, and I was going to flip it now. And I was going to probably make seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars. dollars $90,000. It's a good flip, right? Okay. Well, now here things are going along. I mean, I'm already, my plan, my plan is in place. I, I, I'm already now thinking through and, and, and figuring out what's going to happen next and how I'm gonna, what I'm going to put this money towards. And, and now there's some hiccups and how it's going to come together. And in those hiccups, I now begin to conduct myself in unethical ways. Certainly ways that would, I would call disobedience to God, you know? And, and, and I begin to enact my plan there. And now the time's coming, work through the hiccups, we're at the table, and we're at the table, and they're passing the papers around, and there's a couple of things which is not uncommon, you know, when, when it's an investment situation with property, where a couple of wrinkles that gotta be ironed out right there, and it was about a four month thing, and, my lawyer turns around and he says to me, he says, hey, Dave, it's all good. We're this close. And when he says that to me, all I see is God telling me, you, you crud, man. This is what I got left for you, buddy. Right? Now, I'm, I mean, that's not doctrinally correct. God does not, you know, God does not run out of patience, love. But, that, but what it said was, man, 
all I saw was that I am right now in the target of God's discipline on my life, meaning I have truly disobeyed him. I have sinned against him blatantly. I have ignored his promptings, and I am carrying out something, and he is going to discipline me for my sin. And at that moment, long story short, I took the consequences, lost my down payment, could afford for it. You know what? No, this is my doing. I caused these people disruption in their lives, the sellers. I caused my family. I repented, asked forgiveness for my family, lost the money that I had put down, and I began a very painful but necessary road of repentance, right? Okay? And my plan was in place. Huh? So what happened was, how, how did I get there? Well, my fear of the Lord had leaked. And so now when I'm singing those songs in church and God, Holy Spirit, is trying to reach out to and speak to me, I'm not hearing that. When I'm reading the Bible and I'm reading passages, maybe I might even be reading less than I should have, but still, I mean, you know, I'm there. And God, Holy Spirit, through his word, is trying to illuminate and show me you're going down the wrong path. I'm not hearing that. I got a plan that's derived from fear of uncertainty of the future. huh? That's an unhealthy fear. And right now, I fear that more than I fear you, Lord, and your discipline. But there was something else going on that I realized. Because I had probably about, once that fear, once I saw the fear of the discipline, I paused and I probably had about two or three minutes to kind of consider. And then I said, you know what else, man? Dave, you can't do this. Because if you move on, you will move on without his blessing. You will go down this road without God's blessing. And man, you know what? From what I have seen in my life, you don't want to do that. Because he has so blessed me. And when I trust in him and obey him and yield to him, even in the most difficult and, and, and uncertain situations, I see his blessings and they come to me in ways that I could never imagine. Huh? And I did not want to listen. When, it, when, it, you, when you consider the fear of the Lord, you want to consider... What I fear is missing out on God's blessing in my life, huh? You see that in this book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. You know, the whole this Old Testament is kind of this like story, this cycle of this nation of Israel and God. And God gives them in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, here are my promises and they are awesome. And here are my curses and they're not nice. And he says, when you trust me, when you obey me, when you worship me, here, here's this covenant, here's this promise, here's the blessings you will have from your obedience to me and holding to this covenant with me, right? Covenant is like this solemn agreement, this solemn promise. Marriage is a, is a covenant. And, you know, and, and, and the nation of Israel sets out to do this, and, and they are blessed. And, and sure, they have difficulties, of course, and challenges, but, but, but they prize it. It's, it's astonishing. The reason why we still talk about the nation of Israel is because of how they were blessed, okay? Little dinky spot on the globe, right? And why do they have such a prominent place in all discussions and in the history of the world? Because God blessed them. But then, blessings come, things go well. There's this thing called self-sufficiency. It's an ugly thing. It's an ugly thing in the church. Huh? And now they begin to set out and do things their way. Okay? And now what happens? Then come the curses. And then comes the discipline. Still with love. And so, and then they turn around, having now realized they're not receiving those blessings from God, having realized with clarity what's going on, they turn back to God. And you see this happening over and over and over. This Deuteronomic cycle, if you will. So, What's, 
going on here. In Deuteronomy, God says, when we obey him, he will bless us. This is what he says. He will bless us in the city, says he, he tells them, which applies to us, you'll be blessed in the city and in the country. We will be blessed when we come in and when we go out. Meaning we'll always be blessed. He will send a blessing on everything we put our hands to. The Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty to bless all the work of our hands. The Lord will make us the head and not the tail and cause us to be the top and not the bottom, right? He will bless us. This is his promise that he will bless us. I don't want to miss out on that. That I would put together, that I would concoct some sort of a plan to protect me, to move me forward in life, and in doing so, I would, oh, I would disregard God. I would not fear him. I would put him to the side as a nice kind of uh, ancillary, kind of as an accessory, if you will, to my life, and I would move forward. And then when things get going, I'll make it right. You know, you know hey, God, can you, come on, you get, come on, God, get, get back to your place here, right? We'll, we'll make this right. Man, that's not how it's going to work out. There will be discipline, and I will miss his blessings. So I fear God because I don't want to see that happen. All right, let's move on to another. I hope I still have you. Okay? Let's move on. <laughs> you know? So I hope, uh, let's move on to another form of a constructive fear, you know? The fear for someone else's welfare, right? Yeah, this is good. It's a necessary, though, kind of diminishing part of what we know is a community of Christ followers. The fear for someone else's safety. You know, Christy and I, um, we got married uh, for our honeymoon. We went to my kind of to my reluctance. We went on a cruise uh, to Western Caribbean, right? Bunch of yeah. And I wanted to go to like the city and have fun. And I, I don't like sun. I don't like sand. I don't like water. Just it's not my vibe. And and there's a lot of fear going on there too. So uh, you know, right? See, that that's that's their place to live in the ocean, and this is my place to live. I don't need to go into their place and habitate there. So, uh, and I don't swim. I can't swim. I still can't swim. We know this, right? For our guests, I can't swim. So, I try, but it just doesn't look well. It's like a <laughs> dead cat trying to, a dying cat or something like that. So, um, my children mock me terribly when I try and swim. <laughs> they do, they do. Uh, so, I don't swim. All right. So, we, um, but well, you know what? We won, and, uh, but, you know, but I didn't want to go at all. But she really wanted to go. And so this was our honeymoon, and there was some significant motivation going on on my end, right? So I went on this stinking cruise to these islands in the Bermuda and the sun and all that. And I had some terrible experiences, some stories for another time. But that said, I had a blast, was with my honey, and we had a really good time. Uh, I got to eat and eat and eat. So now we go, three years later, we decide, okay, she's like, you know what, if I go on another vacation, I want it to be a cruise again. Fine. We save up our money, and now we're going to go away to Bermuda. And my motivation to go to Bermuda is that I realized I could eat and eat and eat on the cruise. It's awesome. So I go. But of course, I find myself in this kind of a situation now where here we go to the beach, the sand, in the sun, and my wife loves to go in the water because she can swim, and she really likes to snorkel, right? She likes to snorkel. And so I, you know, just being a guy, Pride or whatever, I'm not going to let her go out on her own. So I put on my stuff and I go and snorkel with her. You know, I got the, I got the vest. I can float. And uh, so we're out there. And now Bermuda, is a, if you, it's, a great little, it's a great place to go. And the beaches are not vast and huge. They're kind of cove. We're in a, that day we're in a place called Tobacco Bay. 
And you know, so you got the people are kind of like more clustered in, if you will. It's not packed, but it's, you know, on a good day, there's a good the people are all kind of closer together. And so we're out there snorkeling and, and I'm just, I'm, you know, what? I'm, I'm good now. You know, I'm, I'm experienced. You know, I did this once before. It's okay. And uh, not as apprehensive as usual when I'm in the water. I don't think, you know, got the shark thing's gone. It's out of my head and, you know, stingrays, okay. They're not here. And also I see this colorful thing, you know, maybe like 20 feet from here to the wall. And I'm looking, I'm looking, and I see more colorful stuff. And all of a sudden I realize it's a, it's a gigantic jellyfish. It's this massive, massive jellyfish. Now my wife, she, she laughs at me, okay? And she encourages other people there. I'm just telling you this thing was massive. And I could feel it sucking me in. I could just feel this thing sucking me in, this jellyfish. I don't know if they have a picture of the jellyfish, but that said... No, and so now you know I'm trying to run in the water, and it ain't happening. I can feel this thing sucking me in, and all the colorful things flow. It's gonna just wrap me up, and so I'm screaming. I, I am. I am. Thing is off my head. I've lost my flippers. I can't swim. I'm trying to move. I'm getting some ground. Finally, now there's my wife, and of course. I'm going to, I fear for her welfare. It's okay to fear for people's welfare. And you know, her hair is floating on the water. Bam, grab her hair, yank her out of the water. Come on! Screaming. I see other people. They're running too. Get out! Get out! Screaming. It's a true story. So we get out there, and there we are on the shore, and they're looking at me like, what, what? I'm like, it's giant jellyfish. And I tell you, there were no words of gratitude coming my way, man. I cannot, they were not happy. Nobody was happy with me. I just went back and sat on my chair and that was it, man. No more water for me for the rest of the cruise. So the point is that, yeah, I, I was really fearful, not only for my own, but I was fearful for Christy. Because as much as I thought I was going to die momentarily, and I was so overwhelmed and thinking I'm going to drown and get electrocuted and all that stuff, it's not really not a good, I'm still late. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, why not? It, it was huge. It was huge. All right. Okay. So, in the middle of that, what came upon me is this fear for the welfare of her and even for others. I mean, even though they were saying not nice things, about, I was really afraid for them. So, sometimes we fear the path that a friend or a loved one is taking. Huh? I mean, I'm, I mean sincere. I'm not talking about condemnation, uh, you know, uh, condes- you know be consending, uh, condescending. I'm talking about sincere fear, fear that a loved one or a friend is going down a particular path. You know, one of our children, uh, uh, someone we know well. And, and our fear is for their welfare, that if they continually go down that path, that relationship, that occupation, that way of living, that way of being, of entertaining themselves, that whatever they're indulging in, that it's just not going to be good for them, right? And we want to, in a loving, kind way, we want to intervene in their lives and display that fear of their welfare, yes? You, you, you see it in the scripture. First Corinthians, the, the book of First Corinthians is the apostle Paul pretty much bringing correction and correction to error and error to the people there in Corinthian because they're going down the wrong paths. He says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 11, 
he says, well, you know, to the church in Galatia, he says, I fear for you. I fear for you, he says, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Whoa, what's he saying? What's happening here is he brought them this great truth that salvation, going to heaven with God for eternity, comes by believing in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, and that alone. And now, somehow what's crept into their lives and their minds is to, well, there's another way to get right with God, and that is by doing particular things, certain ceremonies, certain sacraments, certain things, that by doing these things and acting particular ways, that that is how they're going to now be right with God, their way, their plan, what they can manipulate. And Paul's like, no, it's by salvation comes by faith, by trust, by confidence in Jesus Christ and that alone. And he's saying, you're going down the wrong path. I mean, you know, did I, have I, my, are my efforts wasted? I Meaning he's, he's trying to bring them, he's trying to awaken them. He's going right to it. Have, are you not listening to me? Your welfare is in danger. Paul feared for their welfare. You know, I remember when we, a couple of years ago, or more than that, a few years back, well, when we first started a church, not too long afterwards, a couple comes to me and, you know, they want me to marry them and they're just excited. I'm excited for them. It's cool. It's great. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful process. It's a good thing. And then they begin to tell me their plans as they look out over the horizon. They've mapped out a plan and that they're going to be getting a apartment, they're going to be moving in together, and here's going to be their wedding. And I look at them and I'm like, okay, uh-oh, you know, like, okay, what do I do here with this, you know? And what stirs up in me? I fear for their welfare. They're so happy right now. They're so glad. And I'm glad for them. But from what I, one, know of God's word, and what I have seen, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, I mean, what I have seen, tells me this is not, they are going down the wrong path. I fear for their welfare. And so I said to them, I said, well, so that's about 14 months. I said, well, first, I, I commend you. That's, that's a good time. Man, my kids, I, I'm going to tell them, you, you, you got to give your dad and mom at least a year. You know, I, I'll, I'll protest your wedding. I'll be out there in the sign, you know. <laughs> just, you you got to be with somebody for a year before you marry them, you know. That's just me. And I say, that's what you have to do. just to me. And, uh, so I was, glad, I was glad that they were going to kick it out uh, over a year and spend time, you know, getting ready for this thing. But then they hear the path they were on, I was concerned for their welfare. And I said to them, I said, so, for that, so from the time you move in to about a year or more later, I said, so you're, you're kind of going to put your relationship with God on hold? It sounds like you're going to, you know, what are you going to do with your relationship? Are you going to put it on hold there for a bit? And they looked at me confused. I said, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I just, I'm not sure how... You're going to draw closer to God, and in, and in such a critical time when you, we always need to, but certainly this, this is a heightened, I would call a heightened time to truly have clarity of mind and heart and spirit as you come into this godly union, that you would be poised to be trusting in Him, to be unselfish, caring about one another more than yourselves, and, and, and I don't know how you're going to do that when you're kind of fornicating or, or or really investing of yourselves to this extent physically, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's going to go well for you. I think you're going down the wrong path here. Now, I'm not going to tell you how that turned out because I could reveal the identities of the people and I don't want to do that, right? But my point is I was truly fearful that they would miss out on what God had for them, meaning God's best in their life, right? According to what the Bible says. The Bible says that's a healthy kind of fear. That's our healthy, as long as, as long as we're bringing forward with the gentleness and a, and, and a kindness and, and, and empathy, and as long as we're not looking to win an argument, like if they would have said, well, you know, 
And I've done, this, I've done this before and gotten blasted on Facebook for it. I don't read it, but people tell me, hey, Pastor David, oh, check this out. <laughs> you know? And then if they see it on me, they'll text me, hey, did you see what they said on Facebook about you? You know? It's, it's, it's a, it's, but, I, but still, so meaning if they don't have to agree with me, I'm not going to argue. It's not a debate. I, I'm not trying to win anything. I'm not offended by this. Um, I'm just alarmed. I fear for their welfare, right? So you can do this, you know? Do you have a family member, a coworker, a child, someone in your life group? Yeah, yeah, this is part of our life groups that you're concerned about, huh? Do you know, do you fear that if they stay on a path they're on, that harm is going to come into their life? I mean, it's not your opinion. I mean, according to what the Bible says, that they are in harm's way, that they are drift, meaning they are drifting apart from God, from knowing Him and trusting in Him. Well, then you want to, if you will, go to other people in your life group, right? But go and gently and kindly and timely, use what we call emotional intelligence, right? (laughs) Timely, sooner than later, go and approach that person. And you can start out with saying, you know what, Um, I'm truly uh, fearful of your welfare. There are people like the word concerned. It's kind of, I'm fearful of your welfare and and, in the path you're taking. And, uh, you know, you, you, there's just so much to you. And, and God has done such an incredible work in your life. And I think you're going down a path where you're going to perhaps wind up missing his blessings and maybe incur his, his discipline. Boom. Gently, right? Okay, so we, so we see there's a healthy and constructive side to fear, right? But as with many of our emotions, there's also a, a destructive side of it, right? A destructive form of fear. Oh, I'm only on page four. What are you going to do with this? All right. So let's talk about destructive fear really quickly. All right. There's a wonderful example of irrational fear in Exodus chapter 20, Old Testament. God has just miraculously delivered the nation out of slavery, out of, out of being dominated and mistreated by the nation of Egypt. And now they're at, the, they're at Mount Sinai, the Israelites. And it says in chapter 20, verses 18 through 19, that there they're going to receive God's commandments. It's all in light of this context. And it says in 18 and 19, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak us to yourself and we'll listen, but, not, but do not have God speak to us. We'll die. I mean, come on. That's irrational fear. God had just rescued them from Egypt. He just brought them you know, out of bondage. And now he's going to kill them, you know? And, and, and they followed Moses, and now he's going to turn around, considering the, the, the Passover, what happened there, and that night, and, and being taken out of Egypt, and the plague, all that where his blessings were poured out, and he favored and protected them, and now here they are filled with this irrational fear. We can do that in our lives, right? We can have this irrational fear, this exaggerated fear, my, when I looked out on what was going to happen as me and Christy now, as I set out to do a good thing now and strengthen our marriage and strengthen us as, as parents, and, 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 but all of a sudden, I saw fear. I saw everything through the lens of fear, and it was irrational. It really was. So, this is what you think. So, we have these things. So, my, uh, my wife and my father-in-law are terrified of spiders. Yeah, it's irrational. And my wife did not tell me this when I met her. She misled me. I asked her to tell me everything about her. 
And I would never thought so because her father, I mean, even at 70, when you your birthday's in a few days and uh, Mother's Day, okay. These guys are killing me with all these gifts. So, so he's in his mid-70s somewhere out there. I mean, he's still a pretty stocky, strong guy. I'm going, you, let's drop back now maybe about 15 years ago, right? When he's 60, he's a strapping dude, right? Lumberjack. And uh, so I would never think that, you know, this guy has so much fear in him. So one day I'm sitting there, and uh, I guess they know me to be a practical joker, and I'm sitting on the couch in my in-law's home, and my wife uh, comes up, and she says, ha, ha, ha. She comes up out of the basement. She was, we were washing clothes in her mom and dad's house, and she goes, ha, ha, ha. And says, ha, 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 what? She says, yeah, really funny. I says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, oh, really? She goes, fine, come on. So I follow her, she, she, she start walking down the stairs up to like where you know, the table was, well, where she was putting her clothes. She goes, you didn't put that? And she stops and looks and she runs up the stairs. I said, what, what is she doing? I went up and I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, it's a huge spider, it's a big, it's giant, it's giant. So my jellyfish can't be big, but her spider can be huge, right? <laughs> so she's like, I can't, I can't. I gotta get out of here, kids. I'm like, calm down. What are you doing? She's like, no, she's flipping out. I'm like, Christy, what are you? Calm down. She's like, no, I can't go down there. I can't even stay here. I'm like, why? I'm like, just calm down, all right? I'll go down there. I go down there. I look around. I said, Christy, there's nothing there. She goes, it had arms and hair. And all right, so we're living there now, all right? We're staying there. And um, I know, I think I called him Harry. Sorry, Harry, but I think that is I nickname. I nicknamed him Harry the Spider. And uh, Cool hat, Harry. So that said, uh, about two, three days later, I go downstairs, I'm in the basement, and there I look up, I happen to look up, and there he is, and he was big man. <laughs> but I'm not afraid of spiders, I'm afraid of jellyfish. <laughs> so you know those, uh, but I wasn't gonna touch him, so you know those uh, Christmas popcorn uh, pail, pa uh, pans, pails, tins, thank you? So I went and I got a stick, and I went and I popped Harry into the tin. And so Chrissy's up there. I didn't realize that Lloyd had come in and he was there and he's in the living room. So I go upstairs and there she is sitting like in the first seat and there's Lloyd over here on the couch. I said, hey, honey. She's like, yeah. I said, whoo, boom. She flies. Now the door is the other way, but she flies and she's not screaming and screaming. And she's like, on, she's on the chair, man, on the love seat, standing up in the corner of the house, trying to get out through the wall. <laughs> so there is Lloyd. And Lloyd says, up and says, what's going on here? So that's welcome, man. What are you doing? I'm like, here. Whoa! <laughs> he's up, he's up, fucking two now. So now she's standing on the seat in the corner. He's backing, threatening me as he's backing out with her. And there's the screaming and I'm, I'm like oh, I gotta stop this this is crazy so I walk out laughing I said Harry free right I walk like two, I walk like two blocks away so they would know that Harry was gone so that was just if I'm describing it, it doesn't do it justice you know it I mean that is irrational fear they totally their senses their logic their faith they're gone man you know a little, little exaggeration with that. I mean, they were overwhelmed in a moment. Irrational fear, right? Listen. See, my mother-in-law says he's true. He's telling you the truth. The true story. It's all true. Listen. Yeah, you... you. 
yeah, 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 so much so. You were trying to push it to the other side of the wall, you were concerned about. Listen, so, where am I here? Look, this, this, there's an acronym for fear. There's a lot of them, but I came across one, and it's a good one. Works for the sermon. F-E-A-R stands for false evidence appearing real. You hear that? Pause, my friends. When these challenges come into your life, when these uncertainties come into your life, when thoughts of the past, because we're always, you know, writing the same story that we haven't been. We don't want to do that. It's get a new narrative, man. Don't get overwhelmed with irrational fear. Don't let it start to build in you because you will put in place your own plan and you will use what you know how to survive, right? And that's not good. You're going to be going apart from God with that irrational fear. You're going to be acting, talking, living out your life in a way that is apart from God, that irrational fear. Now, so what's going on with all that? Well, you miss opportunities. So I still to this day miss opportunities. I won't go swimming in a lake. No way, man. No way. No. Not, I, I wouldn't have did it anyway. Now I've seen the size of these turtles. Forget about it. They're huge. You snapping, guys? Done, man. I, I still went on the side of the road. I came on my door, Chrissy. I said, I won't, I won't even put my foot in a lake around here with those guys walking around. Right? So I, I miss out on that stuff. My kids want to go swimming in the lake. Yeah, we just go. You know, we, we go sometimes. Occasionally, somebody will invite us to go to the lake. I will, I will hang out by the shore, man, you know? Every now and then, I might really, because... I, I feel so bad for my kids, I will get in a boat and let them like drag me in something. And I am like, just God have mercy, protect me, help me. It is not well at all. But for the most part, I'm evasive to going to these bodies of water. Even when you go to the ocean and beach, my kids are going out swimming, Daddy, Daddy, come out. I'm like, yeah, it's okay, you know, you know, you know, God help protect my kids. I hope I don't have to go out to save them. I cannot stand this stuff. So I miss out. You know, I miss out on enjoying swimming in the summer because of my irrational fears of the water. And that, who knows, a jellyfish just might pop up in one of these lakes as well, right? <laughs> you know, look, so Christian Lloyd miss out on some things because there are irrational fears of spider. You know, I, I can't figure any now, but I'll, if, you know, I'm sure there was some, right? Look, some of you right now, you know, you, you could be in a good, healthy relationship with the right person. But because of irrational fears, you're not doing that. Some of you could just be in good, healthy relationships with just people, but you're not doing that because of irrational fears, huh? That's just, that's your way. You found a way to adapt to circumstances that worked then, but it doesn't work now, and it's coming from fear, from safety. You didn't feel safe. You were afraid. You implemented something. It worked then. You survived. You got through it. That's cool. But today, it's not adapting well, so you don't feel safe in your mind. you got this irrational fear coming up, and you turn around, and you do what worked then, but it doesn't work now, right? And you're not trusting in God. And God's saying that, you know, trust in me. I'm the same God today Yesterday and forever, Jesus says, trust in me. Don't, don't listen to those fears. Don't listen to that narrative. Don't go that way. They're not rational. Here's what's rational. I gave my son to die on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, and you can stand right now and be right before me and be in a position to hear from me and to see me work in your life. So pause and just wait and watch what I will do. Watch what I will do in your life. I will pour out the blessings that I promised. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will protect you. I will provide you. Just stay the course, right? Put aside the irrational fears. 1103, okay. So the next one is this. 
Uh, fear of lack. We've got to get through this. Uh, you know what? We're afraid, and it's a big one, of not having what we need, especially in this culture, especially in this life. That was what was motivated for me in an ungodly way. And yet the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Pagans meaning people who don't believe in God. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God will take care of you. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, right? You know? You know, now Jesus says that do not fear lack of provision. And because when we do, we wind up taking things in our own hands and we're kind of like our own little prophets, self-prophecy. Things get, we wind up lacking, we wind up hurting, we wind up doing good out. And it's because we left that path of provision and promise of God. You know, and, and, and now yes, there are conditions and that's one of the conditions. I, I, I don't want you to think that um, there was inconsistency there. God says he will provide for us, yet if we tend not to, if we make him a priority in our lives, if we seek him first above all things, that we will experience that divine providence, if you will. That means provision from God. But if we don't, so what does it look? So that's why we do what we do here the way we do it. Why do we come in on Sunday and try and make Sunday such a, a meaningful experience? Because we want you to be drawn into here so that you can put God first. You know? So that sitting at home watching reruns of some reality show is not more interesting than me, hopefully. Or really of just being with other people. You know, regardless of who the orator is or, or where they are. But that you would just come together with other people. That you would even consider, you know what, it's not, I'm going there to give, to share what I have and my resources to bless others. And I can't wait to do that, right? That's how we always, you know, you come to church on the lookout for God and you leave church on the lookout for people. Yes? Amen. Piper. So, you know, the, the life groups. Why do we do life groups? Because we want to give you an opportunity to make God a priority. That's why we do that, so that you'd come together with other people, experience life with them in the context of worshiping God and learning about God, and he would become a priority in your life. You would be seeking him first. Why we give, we give you opportunities to give and to serve so that you would now seek God first, and you would give and you would serve from your love of God, and you would have an opportunity to make him a priority, yes? So the bottom line is that when you're checking, when you're looking at your checkbook and your calendar, God's a priority, Yes? Because that's really what says so much. Not everything, but a whole lot. So this is what we do here. This is how we structure ourselves. Because we want to give you the opportunity that you would seek God first and make his kingdom a priority. huh? Look, I want you to know that he is able to provide. I have, I have just not seen before God. The Bible says that your yes be yes, your no be no. I'll just say before God with all that I am, I have never seen a person Trust in God, seek him first and his kingdom and be without and, and regret doing that. I have not seen them. And when I mean be without, meaning as a whole. I have not seen them wind up being less off in regret, right? Desperate. We are never, let me, you are never desperate as a believer in Jesus Christ. You are never desperate if you believe it. You should never be desperate. You should be filled with hope. You should be thinking of his promises. You should know that there have been millions and millions of people that have come before you that have been in that place of uncertainty, seemingly lack of what is needed, but, but God provided for them as he did with Job, 
as he has with me, as he has with people in here, because his promises are true. And as you stay that path and fear God and desire his blessings and put aside your irrational fears, huh? And desire to know him, he will be faithful and you will do well. I've never seen it. I've never seen somebody regret doing that. And I have seen and know, I mean, so many people who have gone the other way and held back and held back and kind of gave God this kind of this, uh, I don't know, what's a word, a, a fair word. He, they've gave God a measured and calculated place in their life. That he would be just enough to appease a conscience, appease a relationship, just enough to give an injection of particular to particular emotions in their life, just enough to, to where, you know, they can turn around and just mesh it with their conscience. I'm just tossing things out there. I want to be fair here. I'm not trying to get in your head. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there from what I've seen and what I've observed when people told me. And most of all, that he won't disrupt their plan. That he can have a measured and calculated place in their life that's not going to be enough that it would disrupt and interfere with what they're going to go forward. And right now they feel a lack, a lack in their finances, a lack in their living capacity, a lack in occupation, a lack with what they could give their kids going forward and all that stuff. And so, you know what? They're going to take action now. They're going to move on that. Huh? And they're going to fear that lack and move from that fear. And you know what? And in doing so, I tell you more likely than not, they're going to disturb some very meaningful things in their life. It's what I've seen. And so, look, let's just move on and close this out. Worship team, come on. So I can close it out. It's 11.08. We're running along in this series. So I care for you. I love you. Uh, listen, 1 John, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Listen, we need to know right now that God truly loves us. I, 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 he does. He loves you. And his love is perfect. It, it, it's not love you've experienced with any person, with any being. No, it's perfect. It's complete. It's, it's holy. And he loves you. And he wants to bless you. Huh? Listen. Your need is not greater than God's provision. Don't be, don't dwell, don't be steeped, don't be distracted, don't be overwhelmed by these exaggerated fears in your life. So, let's move. I just want to say one thing before we close this out. So tie into the beginning with this, my maladaptive thing, and I appreciate your patience. We've gone long. I, I do, I, I've seen it in my life. I see it in the lives of people I minister. The challenge thing with this maladaptive thing, where because of times where we weren't safe, and things were happening, whether it was five or 10 or 15 or whenever it goes on, man, you know, could happen in a social setting, could happen in a, as a child, could happen, uh, whatever it is, you know. I've seen, I've talked to ministers that it's happening in their lives. A book out there called The Dark Side of Leadership. It's an awesome book. This guy went out there and he talked to these ministers that had really come to prominence and they failed terribly. I'm talking like a pastor of 2,000 church people, a Methodist kind of running out and flashing people at 2 o'clock in the morning in a park. It's really not funny at all. I, I, I get it. I, I almost started saying I, I don't own a raincoat, but I decided not to. I mean, it's crazy stuff, right? Or, or, or Jim Baker or, 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 or Swagger. He went to talk to these people. And when he, said, he found, he said, wow. He goes, there's this pattern that these good men, these men who were godly, and they were women, okay, who gave their lives, who suffered, who sacrificed, who did so good. How did it come to this? And what he found was that in all their lives, in their past, there was something that happened. An incident or a season of incidents. 
and it caused them much pain and much suffering, and it caused them fear. And they found a way to get through it all. They found a way to survive, you know? And it worked then. The problem was that stayed with them. And that now, when they kept going on and they started to come to prominence and challenges came, they were now using that same way of trying to survive, of trying to get by. That same thing then, they were trying to use it now. And in doing it, they were invoking their own plan. They were being self-sufficient. They weren't trusting in God. And they were fodder for the enemy. Huh? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't look at, hey, that's what worked then. That's how I got by. That's how I endured that emotional suffering. That's how I got through that failure. That's how I endured that abuse. That's how I got through that rejection and that neglect. That's how I, that, you know, th that, that's how I got by. Okay, well, by God's mercy, thank God, you, you're here today. And you got through that. And it worked then. But don't now use it now. Now all you want to know is Christ and Christ alone. Do you hear me? You just want to sit before God. You want to pour your heart out. You want to be open. God, search me. Search me. See if there's anything in me that offends you. I want to be right to you. I want to hear you, God. I want to know you now. It's you and me. And, you, and, and let's go forward with this thing now. I want to trust in you. Don't tap into that thing from the past. Because you know what you do when you do that? You actually bring the past and all its pains and all its dysfunctions right into your future, huh? And you're not living as a new creation in Christ, and you're giving the enemy an opening. So why don't you stand with me? So that you adopt a new behavior. That new behavior is a trust and a faith in God. I will not live by fear. Say it with me. Say, I will not live by fear. I trust God today. I trust God today. I will not live by fear. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day, oh God. I thank you for my friends, Lord. God, Holy Spirit, I believe with all my heart that you are present. I believe that you are drawing people closer to you. Lord, that you are imparting into them courage, oh God, right now. Lord, to stand for what they know is right. Because if they don't stand for what is right, they will fall for anything. They will fall to the schemes of our adversary, of your enemy, Satan, O oh God. But right now, in Jesus' name, I pray your protection over them. I pray, Lord, that you would lift them up, O oh God, from within, O oh God. That you would let them see all the possibilities and the hope you have for them, O oh God. Lord, that as they turn to your word, to your truth, to your promises, O oh God, as they glean into your faithfulness in their life, O oh God, they will glance at fear and they will gaze at you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.